Good morning. It's good to be with you guys today, especially on a baptism Sunday. It's such an exciting time. So uh, we're going to get to that soon. But open your Bibles. First Peter chapter five is where we're going to be. We're in uh, this Advent series on humility, and the reason we're talking about humility uh, around Advent time is the act of God putting on flesh and coming to Earth uh, as a baby, born in a barn, uh, to some. Uh, young kids to save the world is the biggest act of humility in human history. Uh, and we're, as followers of Christ, uh, called to live humble lives as well. So we're, we wanted to take a, a closer look into this uh, virtue of humility. And we started last week uh, with Matthew kind of unpacking pride a little bit. So if we want to understand what humility is, let's start with the opposite. Let's get a better understanding of, of pride. And really, it's not just that pride is wrong, it's that it's dangerous. Um, that you guys know that it comes before the fall, it comes before destruction, that pride can do a lot of damage in our lives. And we've said uh, um, pride is the mother of sins uh, because it gives birth to so many other sins in our lives. Like the reason that you lie, the reason that you covet, the reason that you steal, the reason that you're uh, um, jealous, whatever is underneath that is pride. Like it's, it's giving birth to that. So we want to better understand pride. And I'm convinced one of the biggest uh, problems that we're dealing with today is just a prideful obsession with ourselves. I mean, it's, it's everywhere and it's pushed upon you. It's in the culture that we live in. It's just the air we breathe, but we kind of have this prideful obsession with ourselves. I mean, you got to love yourself. You got to treat yourself. Um, you got to listen to yourself because nobody knows you more than you. And there's only one you, uh, and you got to post about yourself and you got to work on yourself. Uh, and you, you should, uh, if you take a picture that you're in, guess who you look at first? Not a tricky question yourself, right? And if you go to counseling, guess who you're going to talk about? Yourself. Uh, and there's just kind of this obsession with ourselves so much, and we want to at least kind of uh, give the idea of, well, what if that's part of the problem? That, that we just kind of have this over-obsession with ourselves. I mean, what if you weren't made for you, but you make life about you? Like, wouldn't that cause all kinds of other problems that we're just completely unaware of, that we just have this unhealthy obsession with ourselves, uh, it's pride. And it's not necessarily the I'm a big deal type of pride because I think we can all detect that and we know enough, like I don't want to be that person. Uh, so it's so not this struggle with like, look at me, I'm a big deal. It's more of a covert type of um, I need people's approval. I want to steer every conversation back to myself. I, I want people to like me. I I'm obsessed with my own thoughts and problems and issues type of pride. And it's more, more convert, covert, but it's, it's just as dangerous. It's still a type of pride that would come before the fall. And we don't want to be prideful people. Like we know that there's destruction behind that. We know that it will lead to bad things. We know that it causes damage. We don't want to be a prideful people. We want to be humble. What does that mean? Like do we really understand humility? Um, and whether you're a Christian or not, maybe you're just here because somebody invited you. They're getting baptized. They wanted to for you to see it. And you're just like... I'm happy to be here. You're getting dunked in water by another adult. This is weird. Welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. But here's what we all understand, whether you're a Christian or not. Humility in our culture is still a compliment. Like if somebody says, oh, you're, you're a really humble person, you know you're not being insulted. Like it, it's, a, it's a desirable trait to have. It's a compliment. But if you're a Christian, it's not just a compliment. It's a command. Like we're commanded in Scripture to be humble. Let me just 
uh, read a few of you, a few passages for you, because you're looking at me like, you don't wear a suit. I don't know if I could trust you. Uh, here's what, this is in First Peter. You guys are looking at these screens. I'm going to look at the back screen, if I can still see all the way back there. First Peter 3.8. Uh, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a what? Humble mind. Let's look at another one. Still some doubters in the room. This is uh, Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, what? Humility. Humility. That was awesome. Meekness and patience. Let's give you another one. Oh, boy. Therefore... Uh, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all what? Humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love. It's a command. I'll give you one more. Some doubters still. Philippians 2, 3. You guys recited this just a little bit ago. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Like, it is a command. And we could keep going, okay? There's a lot of texts that command and call us to be humble people. I don't think you're arguing with me on that. Like, we agree. Like, uh, humility is, it's not just good, it's, it's commanded. Um, just like pride is the mother of sins and it gives birth to so many other sins, humility is the mother of virtue. Like, it leads to so many other good things in our life. Like, if you are a humble person, uh, you're not so consumed with yourself, you're going to be a, a better friend to others. You're going to experience deeper community. You're going to be able to take criticism and improve. You're going to be able to confess sin. You're, you, it's like it's going to lead to so many other good things. I'm telling you, like, you want humility. Like, it is a life-changing uh, foundational virtue in our lives that, get, that gives birth to so many other good things. But what exactly is it? That's what we want to understand. We know we should desire it. It's something we should pursue. But what exactly is it? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings when it comes to humility or counterfeit examples of humility where we think it's humility, but that's not really humility. In fact, sometimes, and Jess referenced this uh, earlier, that we think humility is weakness. In fact, uh, the type of Christianity that the Nazis were promoting in Germany before World War II was a Christianity that despised humility. Uh, You couldn't even display images of the cross in your church because that was a sign of weakness. Well, you take humility out of Christianity, you don't get Christianity. And we make these conclusions that, oh, if if you're a humble person, you never stand up for what is right. It's like that is not true at all. That is not what real humility is about. In fact, if we'd have a, like, another week in this series. I'd love to do a message just on the courage of humility. Like it's needed in life. Sometimes people think uh, humility is hiding. Like if you're really good at something, let's say I'm really good at the guitar, uh, but, but if I do it, then everybody's going to talk about me and my skills. So humility is not doing what I'm good at. That's not, hu- that's not being humble. It's just thinking about yourself in a different way. Like having a a humble mind is to free to do things without thinking about how you come across in that. Or sometimes people think humility is self-deprecating. That person that's always kind of insulting themselves and kind of cutting themselves down. That's not humility. That's just another form of pride. You're just, you're still consumed with yourself. You're just negative about yourself. Like that's not real humility. So what is Real humility. Or let me put it this way. What is biblical humility? 
Like in reading the Bible, what kind of uh, definition or understanding do we get about humility? Not just in our world, but in, in the scriptures. What do we know about humility? And how do we get it? How do we grow in humility? How do you become more humble? How many of you would like to become more humble? Okay, some of you are like already there, strongest suit, right? Does anybody got a member in their family where you're just like, I'd really like somebody in my family to become more humble? (laughs) Oh, you're in trouble. You shouldn't have raised your hand. Like we know that we want it. It's something that we should have. So how do you get better at it? How do you grow in humility and what exactly is it? So we want to go for a definition, a biblical definition of it. And we want to go at like, how do we grow in it? And we're actually going to reverse those. So I want to first tackle, how do we grow in humility? And once we understand that, then I think we'll get a better biblical definition of it. So that's where we're going. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, let me read verse 6. You guys ready? Enthusiastic? Baptism? The Bible? Let's do it. All right. Verse 6 of chapter 5, 1 Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore... Under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, um, don't underestimate the power of humility. Because what does he say here? At the proper time, God is going to what to the humble? He's going to exalt them. Now, doesn't that sound great? To be exalted by God. Like, don't ever underestimate the power of humility is not weakness. It is what connects you to a holy God that he will exalt you. And if you're like me, it'd be like, let's talk more about that. I want to talk about being exalted. That sounds great. But for today, I want to talk more about what it says in the first half of this verse when it says, humble yourselves. What he's saying is, you humble you. You take responsibility for your humility. This is a command that Peter is giving, and he's saying, I want you to humble you. You need to take responsibility for your own humility. And there's a therefore in there, and we know as good Bible readers, right, if there's a therefore, we need to ask what? What's it there for, right? And we need to see the context. So if you go up a verse, he's saying, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you. So this doesn't include just those who are younger, but all of you with humility towards one another for or because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Like you're going to want humility, right? You don't want to be on the opposite side of God, but he's going to give grace to those who are humble. So you take responsibility for your humility. You should be serious about pursuing humility. Do you know how important humility is? Do you know how dangerous pride is? So, so Peter's saying you take responsibility for your own humility, And there is a fruit of humility, like it's going to produce good things in your life. But there's also the root of humility, like where it comes from. And that's what I want us to better understand. What is the root of humility? Where does it come from and how do we get it? Now, there are a lot of places that we could go to point this out in our text. And we're going to take a little Bible field trip today. We're going to go to different places, but I want us to see it in this text. Uh, I want us to see it here. So let's look at... uh, Verse 6 again, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So you get this clear command from Peter, humble yourselves. You humble you. But then you get some instructions. 
or at least a location. Like if I'm going to tell you to humble yourselves, I'm going to tell you where to humble yourselves. Where you humble yourselves is under the mighty hand of God. We have a location. If you're serious about pursuing humility, this is where you're going to find it. This is where you're going to do it. Now, technically, everybody is under the mighty hand of God. Whether you realize it or not, we are all under the mighty hand of God. This is his world. He made it and he rules it. So what is Peter saying? He's telling us, Um, That if you're going to humble yourself, you need to recognize that you are under the mighty hand of God. That this world is about him, not you. That he is mighty, not you. That he is great, not you. This is his world, not yours. He rules it, not you. Like, you need to recognize this is his. Like, you you are under the mighty hand of God, but do you realize it? Do you live like it? Do you acknowledge it? Because that's the beginning of humbling yourself. Humbling yourself comes from acknowledging the greatness of God. And guys, humility is not like a natural disposition for us sinners. Like we don't just kind of fall into it. Like we want to we protect ourselves. We want to promote ourselves. Like we want to advance ourselves. That kind of stuff comes naturally to us. Pride comes naturally to us. Humility is more of a responsive virtue. Like humility is a, is a reactionary thing in us. Uh, let me let me put it this way. Let's say you, you go to the YMCA, and you're going to play some basketball, and you go. Uh, well, we don't we can we don't have to imagine like we're in a in a gym here. Do you know the Y where they have like multiple courts and there's a curtain that comes down between? So let's say you come in from there and there's a court going this way. We got this court, but there's a there's a curtain down in the middle. Tracking with me. So you come in and you go to the first court and you're going to start hooping it up, and it's you and a bunch of fifth graders. And you are better than you thought you were, right? You are balling. Like, you are, you're the leading scorer. Uh, you're the leading rebounder. You would lead an assist, but you don't really need to pass the ball. Like, you are amazing. In fact, every fifth grader there is looking at you and like, did you play in the NBA? And you're like, no, seventh grade B team. Uh, but I've come a long way, right? And you are excited and like, you're just, you're just balling. And they're all impressed with you and you're impressed with you and it's going really well. And then somebody that works at the Y comes in with that funny looking key that sticks it in the wall and they turn it and the curtain raises and you are ignorant to the game going on next to you. And it was a bunch of NBA players that were just kind of hooping it up. And now all those fifth graders are looking at you in light of them and they are less impressed by you. And you are looking at yourself in light of them, and you are less impressed with yourself. But you got courtside seats to a pretty impressive thing, right? You were what? You were humbled. And it was reactionary because you now saw yourself in light of something a lot more glorious and better than you. And so many people go through life. This is my life. This is my world. I live it. I decide what's right and wrong. I decide what I'm going to do. Like, I'm running the show here, oblivious to a holy God on the other side of the curtain. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when somebody sticks that funny-looking key in and raises this curtain, and everybody's going to get in on something more glorious than themselves. And you're going to be humbled. It's going to happen. Humility is the response to the might of God. And I didn't say humility is a response to the might of God. 
or it's not a response for some people to the might of God. Humility is the natural response to every human being when they finally realize the might of God. And there's going to come a time when every human being realizes the might of our God. Are you seeing the might of God now? Like before that curtain raises, do do you get it? Do you see it? Are you humbled by it? You guys are are probably familiar with this text. I know we've looked at it um, a handful of times as a church, but this is in Isaiah chapter 6. Let me read this to you a little bit, if I can see this back here. That's small print. Okay. I'm getting older. All right. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is Isaiah talking, saw the Lord seated upon his throne. Now, King Uzziah was uh, ruling Israel, and he was doing pretty well. Uh, But there was a level of security that the kingdom had uh, that when he died, people were feeling vulnerable. Who's going to attack us? What's going to happen to our nation? They're scared. They're worried. And God is like to Isaiah, let me give you a peek behind the curtain. You thought King Uzziah had some game? You you looked at him and you thought you were secure and protected? Let me give you a peek behind the curtain. Check out my game. I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he, he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is a phrase of like the Lord of armies. You're worried about your protection because your king died? Do you not know right behind this curtain is the the king of kings that is on the throne who rules an angel army? Did you not get that? And when God kind of gave him a peek behind the curtain, what happens to Isaiah? He was humbled. He's like, woe is me. Like, I I didn't get that. Now, Now I get it. Do you get it? Do you get how big God is? Do you get how powerful God is? Do you get how holy God is? Do you get how awesome God is? Because God's holiness fuels our humility. Let me show you another text to help bring this out. This is in Psalm 8. It says this. It does. It says it. Um, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You know he's saying? It's like, when, when I look at your heavens, like I, I acknowledge that these are yours. Like you hung uh, the moon in its place. You hung the stars in the sky. This is the work of your fingers. When I see that, what's my response to me? Who am I? Who do I think I am? And that you would care for me? Like there, there, there's a humbling that happens when you acknowledge the size and power of God. And listen, guys, this is important. I really want you to get this. We don't become more humble by trying to be more humble. And if you hear a message on humility and you walk out and be like, yeah, that's a pretty good message on humility. Thank you. 
Um, but if you're like, I really need to work on my humility, you're going to leave here frustrated. And it's not going to go well. You don't become more humble by working on humility. You become more humble by seeking God. Like that's what's in Psalm 8. When was that person in Psalm 8 humbled? When I looked at your heavens. Then humility happened in his life. So, so let's connect some dots. As in when I'm dealing with pride, whether it's like a puffed up view of myself or whether it's a defeating view of myself. Either, either way, who are you thinking about? Yourself, right? So, so whether you're dealing with pride, depression, anxiety, worry, he's saying, you ain't looking. You ain't looking up. You ain't looking at the work of God's fingers. You're not looking at the moon that he hung. You're not seeing the size and scope and power and might of our God. Where, where are you looking when you're struggling with pride and depression and anxiety and all things? You're navel-gazing. Like you're trapped in your own you. Like you're struggling. Like you're just consumed with your own problems, your own issues. Guys, uh, our depression um, is often a window into the sin of our own self-centeredness. And I believe one of the most helpful, loving counsel we can get or give is just stop thinking so much about yourself. Like you've been there. You're just angry. You're bitter. You're anxious, whatever it is. And you're just like, it's all that you think about. It's all that you talk about. You're just consumed with your problems. And a loving brother or sister needs to come along sometimes and be like, I think you need to stop thinking so much about yourself. Like it's just kind of the spiral down in your anger, your pride, wherever it is. Like you're just consumed with you. And that's one of my issues with secular counseling is it's like I want to talk more about your problems. I want to understand your problems. I want to help you get over your problems. But where's the focus? Your problems. And eventually you got to make this shift to something more glorious than your problems, to pull you out of your problems. And there's never this shift away from you. It's all about you and what you're going through and how I can help you. And, and here's some strategies for you. And you got to stop. you got to make this shift away from you to God. you got to get to that Psalm 8 moment of when I look at your heavens, now I see myself differently. you got to get out of that fear that, I, that Isaiah had about King Uzziah is dead. What are we going to do now? you got to lift the curtain like, oh, Okay, God is still on his throne. You have to make this turn in your attention to God. To grow in humility, you have to look to God. Seriously, you want to grow in humility? Look up. Like literally look up. Look at the work of his fingers. You ever just kind of get blown away by a big, bright, full moon or the stars in the sky? And, and we can all look at that and be like, that's awesome. But do you ever connect the dots? Like, oh, that's, those are your heavens. You put that there. You did that. Like, if you want to grow in humility, look up with this understanding of the size of our God. Look in the scriptures to better understand the nature and character of our God. It is humbling. You cannot look up at this beautiful creation, understanding it, that it is God's heaven, and at the same time, think you're a big deal. When you um, are under the mighty hand of God, you see yourself more accurately. And it's helpful. It's helpful. 
But there are different ways to be under the mighty hand of God. Because like we said before, we are all under the mighty hand of God, whether you realize it or not. This is his world. He made it. He rules it. We are all under the mighty hand of God. But there are different ways that you can be under the mighty hand of God. You can be under the mighty hand of God in judgment. That you're about ready to get squashed. You can be under the mighty hand of God in protection. Like he's a refuge for you. Like it could be life-ending humiliation. Or it could be life-giving humility. So which one is it? Which one is it for you? And how do you know? Because there's going to come a day when the curtain does go up. And everybody is humbled before our God. Which kind of humbled for you? In fact, let me point out, this is Isaiah chapter 2. Where Isaiah is talking about this day of the Lord. Verse 12, it says, for the Lord of hosts, so you guys know what that means, kind of the, uh, the idea of this Lord of angel armies, so it gives you some context to what he's talking about here. The Lord of hosts has a day. God's got a calendar. He's the author of time. He's got a day marked on his calendar for judgment to come. He's got a day against all that is proud and lofty. Against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against all the lofty mountains. Against all the uplifted hills. Against every high tower. Against every fortified wall. Against all the ships of Tarshish. Against all the beautiful craft. And you're kind of like, God, what do you got against trees? Like the cedars of Lebanon and the oaks of Bashan. It's like, what, what is he trying to say here? It's like all these things that you take pride in. All these things that you glory in above God, there's going to come a day where you realize God is more glorious than that. Like God's saying, I got a day where I'm going to show you. Oh, you're impressed with ships of Tarshish? In light of God, you're not going to be impressed with ships of Tarshish anymore. Oh, you you get uh, just in awe of the cedars of Lebanon? Yeah, there's going to come a day where you're not that impressed with those trees anymore. Now, we're reading some ancient texts, but, but you, you got your own kind of things. Like, it's like, oh, you, you just think uh, this, you know, Steph Curry is amazing? Yeah, there's going to come a day where you don't think he's that amazing. Like whatever, like the thing that you glory in, that you kind of idolize, that you think is just awesome, the curtain's going to come up and God alone is going to be exalted. And everything we thought was awesome in light of God is like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's that awesome anymore. Like when I see real awesome. That's what he's saying. And he's like, I got a day that that's going to happen. He says, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So he has a day in mind where the Lord will be exalted. Now, Paul also talks about that day. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we we read some of it um, this morning. But this is the... The back end of it. I want us to read that again that you guys recited a little bit ago. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Remember that was the day that Isaiah was talking about. Uh, The Lord has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the day. That's the day when it's coming. Now. Here's my question. If everyone is bowing to Jesus and everyone is confessing that Jesus is Lord, 
who's saved. Because we know not everyone is saved. The context of Isaiah is judgment. And he's saying in Philippians 2, like there's going to come a day where everybody recognizes Jesus. So if everybody's recognizing Jesus in kind of an honoring way, like they're bowing, they're confessing, well, who's saved? And it's the ones who know Jesus as Lord before you know Jesus as Lord. It's the ones who are bowing before you bow. Because you can bow or you can bow. Do you know what I'm saying? Like before the curtain goes up, it's the ones who are like, I was pro-Jesus before it was cool. <laughs> like before everybody was doing it, and I was like, I'm excited for Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Or, or here's another way to put it. it. It's those that are bowing and confessing that Jesus is Lord and they're glad about it. They're glad about it. This is Psalm 34. Uh, I love this passage. Let's, let's see if I can read it from the distance here. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the what? Humble here and be what? Glad. Like he's saying, okay, this boast in the Lord, like not me, but in the Lord. I'm excited about the Lord. I'm bragging about the Lord. And that's humbling to me because it's not about me. He's great, not me. But yet I'm still glad about it. I'm excited about it. Now, how does that happen? Like what happens to kind of get that attitude? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, 4, 4 is a verse I really want you to know, but I want us to look at the, the verses around it. Let's look at 3 through 6. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's humility. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying. You know what unbelievers can't see? They can't see the glory of God. They can't see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. The curtain's down and they don't know what's behind it. They can't see it. But what has God done to believers He's given us a peek behind the curtain. Or, or he's opened our eye, the eyes of faith. Right? He's opened the eyes of faith. Here's what we see by faith. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is awesome. And he's holy. And I can't wait to see him. So when he curtain does come up, some people are going to be like, oh, crap. And other people are like, yes, King Jesus, let's do this. Right? Like, there's two different responses. So, like, do you know before you know? Do you bow before you bow? That's what's happening here. But what exactly does God open our eyes to? It's the light of the gospel that's seen in Jesus Christ. Well, what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God put on flesh and came to our rescue. Here's what the gospel is. God loves us. This holy God on the other side of the curtain, he cares for you. Now, I want us to see it in our text. So go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties or all your cares on him because he cares for you. Isn't that good news? 
is there is a joyful coming under God's mighty hand because we know he cares for us. We know he cares for us. Listen, true humility is produced in us when we know both God's might and his love. It's important. Like that, like that's where we get joy-producing, freeing humility when we understand both God's might and his love. And if you know just one of them, it doesn't do it. Like if you just see the might of God but not his love, he's probably a God you want to appease and keep happy, but you also want to keep your distance from. And if you know his love but not his might, you probably think he exists for you. But when you know both the might of God and the love of God, that's when we run to him. It's like, I want to be under his mighty hand because I know it won't crush me. It will protect me. Like, where else would I rather be than under the mighty hand of God? And and notice, uh, it's not on the mighty hand of God or next to the mighty hand of God. It is under the mighty hand of God. The word means beneath it, which is out of the spotlight, which is hidden, which is a life that stops being about you and who you are and what your dreams are and what you want to accomplish. It becomes a life that is about God and who he is and what he's up to and his plans. And we would gladly put ourselves there. There's no better place to be. Guys, knowing God's might and love frees you from yourself. You ever think you needed to be freed from yourself? When you understand the might of God, you don't have to be in control. God's got this. He's mighty. When you know the might of God, you don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen next. He's mighty. He's got this. When you know the love of God, you can just stop trying to prove yourself to everybody else. He cares for you. You're already loved. You can give up on on the comparisons that you constantly make with other people or or the assessments of yourself. How did I come across? Did I say too much? Did I say too little? Do you think they like me? Do you think they don't like me? You're loved. He has already declared he cares for you. It's freeing. And I know some of you are sitting there, it's like, well, how do I know he cares for me? That's a great question. Christmas, Easter, that's how you know. Romans 5, 8, that while we are yet sinners, God declares his love for us by sending Christ to die. Like he is mighty and he loves us. And both of those things matter. Because if he is mighty to save, but he doesn't really love you, then he's not going to save you. But if he loves you, but he's not mighty, it's like, I wish I could save you. I just can't. He is both mighty to save and loves you to save you. And when you get that, it's like, I want to be under his hand. That mighty hand, it's not going to squash me. It's going to protect me. There's no place I'd rather be. That's what life is about. And we would gladly put ourselves under there. So here's the definition of biblical humility. Biblical humility is being gladly preoccupied by the power and love of God. Now, I want to shrink that a little bit because this is something I really think would be helpful uh, for you to memorize and just kind of keep with you. So let's put it this way. Biblical humility is being gladly preoccupied by God. 
Biblical humility is being gladly preoccupied by God. Here's what I mean by that. When you are gladly preoccupied by God, I'm not thinking too highly of myself. And I'm not thinking too lowly of myself. I'm not even thinking of myself. I am just so captivated by the might and love of my God. I'm so captivated by his holiness. I'm so captivated by his plans. I'm so captivated by who he is and what he's up to. Like, I'm just taken by God. And when you are absolutely just taken by God, you will find this freedom in not thinking so much about yourself. You won't be out trying to make yourself a big deal, nor will you be home curled up thinking that you're an awful person. You will just be free from thinking about yourself. That's biblical humility. I'm just gladly preoccupied with God. And guys, that's what's getting declared in baptisms. People who are saying, I'm, I am gladly preoccupied with my God. I am joyfully putting myself under the mighty hand of God. I am casting all my cares on him, all my concerns on him, all my worries on him, all my sins on him. And why am I doing that? Because I know he cares for me. And I'm gladly living for him. I know that he is mighty to save, and I see him as compassionate to save. And that's where I want to be. That's what's being proclaimed in baptisms. And when we baptize people at Veritas, we cheer, we hoop, we holler, but we're not cheering for the people in the tank. And the people in the tank aren't saying, look at me. In fact, sometimes you'll talk to people about getting baptized, and they're like, I don't really want to. It's like, why not? It's like, I don't want to get wet in front of a bunch of people. It's like, okay, then you don't get it. Because you're still thinking about how you look in front of other people instead of thinking about how you make God look in front of other people. It's a humbling thing. But that's part of the act of baptism. My life is no longer about me. It's about God. And I want you to know that God saves and he saved me. So when we cheer, we're not thinking, that's great. You did that really well. You didn't really do anything. You sat there. You got dunked, right? We're not cheering for the person baptizing them like, oh, you did that really well. No, it's all pointing to God. Look how awesome our God is. He's still saved. So, so church, I want this to be a Psalm 8 moment for us. Like, this isn't the moon. This isn't the stars. This isn't his heavens. But it is the work of his fingers. Like, every person that gets in the tank is saying, God's fingers has worked in my heart. He, he has taken the scales off my eyes. He's given me a peek behind the curtain. I see how awesome God is. God did that. And, and that would be humbling for all of us. When we look at all these people and be like, oh, God's real. God's alive. God's at work. How awesome is our God. And if we could be a church that's just gladly preoccupied with him, we would be a pretty sweet church. So you're going to see some people get baptized today. You're going to see uh, some people tell their stories on a video. Uh, you, we're a part of more than just this church. Uh, we're a campus. We've got a downtown campus. Uh, th- these two weekends as a church, by the grace of God, we've seen 59 people get baptized. Don't ever get used to that. That is awesome. Um, so you're going you're gonna to hear some people on the video. It's like, I don't know them. That's right. They're, they're somewhere else, right? But they're still part of this church And we're going to see people get in the waters today. And they're proclaiming that God is alive and it should humble us because he's an awesome God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for that Psalm 8 moment for all of us that we would be 
humbled by the work of your hands, the work of your fingers, that you still uh, take out a heart of flesh and put in a, or a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, that you open our eyes to your greatness, that we would be bowing way before everyone is bowing. We would be confessing that you are Lord way before everyone confesses that you are Lord. Give us the courage and the boldness to do so. And I pray that we would be set free from just being so concerned with ourselves. That we wouldn't think too highly of ourselves, nor would we think too lowly of ourselves. Free us from thinking about ourselves. And do so by captivating us with your greatness. We pray this in your name. Amen.